the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Ghost and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. Our recent shows in Magic Markets Premium have included platforms like TripAdvisor, technology businesses like Salesforce, luxury consumer brands like LVMH and Aston Martin, and even an old-school industrials group like 3M. For just 99 Rand a month and no minimum commitment, there is no better way to learn about international stocks and how to research them. Visit magic-markets.com to sign up today. Welcome to episode 139 of Magic Markets. Last week, you would have heard us talk about Caterpillar and Home Depot in this kind of new format of the show that we are experimenting with. And we welcome your feedback as our listeners, obviously. As always on Magic Markets, the idea here is to bring you interesting insights into not just global stocks on the free show, although that's very much what premium is all about, but certainly on whatever stocks we think are interesting. So Mo, thanks as always for being here with me to do this podcast. And today we've got two interesting, unrelated, but interesting companies that we each went off and did some research on. Yeah, Ghost, it's always a pleasure doing this. And again, in terms of the new format, we're not exclusively going to try and focus on stocks that we've historically covered in Magic Markets Premium. But I think it makes sense, especially since we've gone through an earnings season, or at least the bulk of the earnings season up here in the US, that we pick up on some of the stories that we've spoken about, some of the stocks that we've unpacked in a lot of detail for our subscribers in Magic Markets Premium, and just touch on what's changed. Because markets are dynamic, they change all the time. Sometimes a company that you've looked at a year ago might have made a lot of sense, it might have had a great investment thesis, and things change either for the better or for the worse. So either the view works out or the view doesn't work out. And so this is part of that very important introspective phase to say what was right in the analysis, how have things actually changed, what was wrong in the analysis. And it's, it's a way of updating our own views on a library that's now over 90 stocks large. It's quite a large library. So this is a nice for me, add-on feature in terms of my own process to just try and close that loop and say, let's touch base, let's see how things are going. And this week, two interesting ones, right, Ghost? I'm going to take one that's particularly painful, I know, for both of us, at least for me, I know I still have this, um, I'm bag-holding this position. Anyone who's a long-term listener to Magic Markets will know what that is. I'm talking about Disney. So we're going to touch on Disney, their latest results, developments there. And then Ghost, you're going to touch on something that's maybe a little bit closer, not to your heart, but to your stomach, and that is Yum Brands. I think it's the full value chain, yeah. So Disney upsets you, and then you drive to KFC, and you go and eat something to feel better about it. Then Disney upsets you again, and then you go to Pizza Hut, you know, so it's, you know, maybe Yum is the downstream beneficiary of uh, investing in Disney. I'm not 100% sure, Mo. Uh, so I'll let you go first. You know, so we'll do it in the in the correct circle. You know, let's get hurt by Disney. We can eat it Yum and feel better. <laughs> I, I, I think that's probably a good idea. So I'll, I'll jump straight in because maybe Disney's not as, as fresh as some of the news that came out of Yum. Disney is now probably about two to three weeks old uh, at the time of when we're releasing this. But what's interesting is that, you know, when we look at Disney, it's a stock that we've kind of gone full circle on at Magic Markets Premium. A uh, great, powerful company. I think it was one of the earliest ones we had covered in premium. Then we did a series of recaps and we've kind of gone through the entire motions here because when we started covering this, it was still Bob Iger. And then when we recapped it, it was Bob Chapek who was his successor. Uh, and then Bob Chapek kind of hashed the business, the business doing you know a couple of things going wrong under Chapek and Bob Iger's come back. So when I say we've gone full circle, so is the management team at Disney. And the first interesting thing I want to just touch on here that's come out recently is that Disney has been behind some of the most, wait for it, disappointing box office 
performances this season. Now, I'm going to run through some of the names. And again, our listeners, our subscribers, uh, you know, people listening to the show, you'll know because you'll know how many of these you've gone and watched either by yourself or with your kids. The one was Haunted Mansion. The other was Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Then we had Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, you know, in the Marvel stable. Uh, they also had the live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. And then a, 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 I know about this one because I've got young kids, right? There was a movie called Elemental. And I don't know if anyone even knows what this movie is. But these were some of the names that came out in terms of we're talking box office from Disney. And if you don't recognize some of them, that's exactly the point is that this is Disney. You're supposed to iconically know what Disney's releasing, be excited about it. That's the Disney of old. I'm going to throw one more in Ghost, and that was a, it's a streaming offering. It's just on Disney+. Plus. It's not a movie. It's called Secret Invasion. Now, again, if you haven't heard of it, you'll be forgiven, but it, it ties into, again, the Marvel Universe. Disney spent roughly a billion dollars on just four of those flops over this last season. So that shows you how it's a money pit. They've been throwing a lot of money into this. We've spoken about how content generation is an expensive business. And you'd want to back a player like Disney that has a strong track record. And what I'm saying is that strong track record now has a very big question mark around it. And again, we'll unpack some of that in some of my later points. But that stood out for me in terms of, hey, not only is Disney stock underperforming, but maybe there's some compelling reasons as to why that is. And you know, if I were throwing over a billion dollars into generating content that's just not resonating with my audience, I'm going to start asking myself some serious questions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Disney content slate at the moment is, uh, you know, it, it, it polarizes people and it creates all its own sort of issues. And we won't get into that really on this show. But the reality is that when you are polarizing people, you are not filling a box office. So that is, uh, well, actually, having said that, Barbie did pretty well. And in some respects, that was polarizing. So I don't know what it is, but Disney is definitely not getting it right at the moment. That's for sure. Anyway, on to Yum, and uh, from a Yum perspective, and that's Yum with an exclamation mark, that's how they write it, and the growth has an exclamation mark as well. They opened 1,025 new units this quarter, as they call it, so that just basically means restaurants, and system sales grew 13% year on year, so it's been a bumper year in this space. We're covering McDonald's this week in Magic Markets Premium, also really strong results in the latest quarter. And at Yum, the company is looking for full-year numbers, as they describe it, that are well ahead of their long-term growth algorithm. So, you know, all these U.S. companies just love having this fancy stuff. All that means is ahead of their average long-term growth, or at least what they are targeting. Now, KFC is very much leading from the frontier within Yum brands. 19% system sales growth, so that's a lot of chicken. And that is around 50% of the operating profits of Yum. You almost expect it to be more than that, right? Because KFC is the really big brand. But that's the one we understand because we're part of the international business, which is where KFC has really been a star. Um, the US for KFC has only managed same store sales of 5%, whereas KFC as a whole came in at 13%. So the international story for KFC is strong. And in case you are wondering where Yum makes the rest of its money, Taco Bell, that is 35% of operating profit, and Pizza Hut is at 14%. Your maths is not letting you down there if you're wondering where that final percent is from. And that is from Habit Burger Grill, which is a brand that Yum is currently busy incubating at the moment. And we'll see if they actually make anything of it. Yeah, I think the fascinating thing for me here, Ghost, and I'm not going to give away some of the key insights that we found in our coverage of McDonald's this week in Magic Markets Premium, but it's that chicken story, right? I mean, McDonald's making strong inroads into the chicken space. And if you want to know more about that, go and check out the premium show. But if you look at, for example, you know, 
young brands going into the burger space, habit grow, that shows that the space is evolving. I think the other thing to take note of is inflation's come through. We've had reasonably high inflation and the ability of some of these companies to try and pass that on to their consumers will have a question mark over it in terms of at some stage it works and at another stage it's probably going to break, certainly if we go into tougher economic times. Let me jump into my next point on Disney because I don't think we've quite gone into, hey, I need to go into the drive through at Yum! Brands. I haven't depressed you enough about Disney. So here's the next point park attendance. We've spoken about the box office flops. We've spoken about the streaming flops. Let's talk about park attendance this last season. Now, there are a number of people that do this. You can go and see it in the Disney transcripts. There are also companies that go and track waiting times for rides at the various theme parks. And that's a nice way to get on the ground data to say what's happening with waiting times. If wait times at the large parks, at the larger rides are shorter than usual, then you know, guess what? Park attendance is maybe down. And that's been the case at Disney. So they've reported shorter wait times at Orlando, that's big Disney World, as well as at Disneyland in California. And the average wait time, it doesn't sound like a lot, but the average wait time for a Disney ride was 27 minutes this year, which was down from 31 minutes last year. And it's down from, wait for it, 47 minutes in 2019. So, okay, maybe the 2019 might be a little bit mixed up. You know, we do know it was a COVID year, the latter part of the year, but... I would see that as the steady state. I would say maybe 47 minutes is the time. I would say from 47 down to 27 minutes, that's a material deterioration in wait times, which tells you that park attendance and capacities are low. Now, I know you mentioned the point around Disney potentially alienating some of its audience, and that does get a lot of the narrative in the media that's come through. But if we look at another competitor, Universal, for example, Universal also reporting some of their lowest attendance in years. So something is broken and potentially it's more of a macro story. Maybe consumers are really under pressure. I mean, a Disney park attendance, Universal, these are expensive big ticket items. They are the splurge when you want to take your kid. And if you can't take your kids to these theme parks now, times are tight, you might park it. You might park it for a couple of years. And if you don't have to park it for too long, maybe you end up at the park. But if you park it for too long and your kids grow up, maybe you don't ever go to the park. And so there are all of these dynamics that kind of come through. I'm a kid at heart. I love theme parks. My kids love theme parks right now. So maybe it comes through, but the current near-term performance, park attendance down at Disney, yes, at their competitors as well, but at Disney, again, contributing to what's not been a good look on the company. Yeah, that is not good news because the parks are really all they have at the moment. So you know, thank, thanks for that, Mo. I'll now make myself feel better by commenting on uh, fast food businesses that appear to have better marketing than Disney, which is incredible. So we literally just spoke about Grimace at McDonald's and Grimace is supposedly a purple taste bud. Yeah, I don't know what a taste bud looks like. I mean, I don't think Grimace is a, a taste bud either. No one really knows what Grimace is or looks like. It's just a big purple fluffy thing. But then again, Grimace did get billions of views, billions of views literally on TikTok. So maybe Disney should just, I don't know, maybe I should collaborate with McDonald's and make a decent movie. The point here is that it's all about gimmicky marketing in this quick service restaurant space. And that's the point I wanted to raise. So something like Taco Tuesday might sound like a Pinterest search or a joke you have with your mates about, you know, your next dinner plan. It's actually a really big deal from a marketing perspective in this space. 
And it's been a big fight for Taco Bell and something they are very proud to now finally be able to actually use. And they've partnered with LeBron James to help them actually get this thing across the line and sell these tacos. So the point here is that fast food brands, yes, they have gimmicky marketing. They have a purple blog like Grimace, for example, but they will also use sports-related marketing in a ploy to try and just improve the health image of the product. So case in point here at Yum, we have LeBron James. Do you think he spends a lot of time eating these tacos? I somehow doubt it. Or at least, you know, any professional athlete is not going to be eating most of this stuff. But we see it all the time, whether it's with the Olympics or McDonald's with the FIFA World Cup. You know, the F1 drivers, when they take a big swig out of a monster branded bottle. One thing I can absolutely assure you is there is no monster whatsoever in that bottle spiking the sugar levels of a Formula One driver just before going out for a race. Last comment on the marketing and something interesting, Trevor Noah actually gets a mention in the latest Yum! earnings transcript for a campaign that KFC did with him right here in South Africa on the breakfast product. So interesting to see the management team of Yum! International kind of calling out some of their regions that they think have done a good job with marketing. And little old South Africa got a mention for the Trevor Noah campaign, which I must be honest, I don't think I saw anywhere. But to be honest, once again, a KFC breakfast is really not part of my daily plan. Well, after looking at your Disney share price performance, maybe the KFC breakfast is going to become part of your plan. And maybe you'll turn from a purple ghost into a purple blob <laughs> like Grimace. Yeah, from grimacing so much. If I keep looking at that Disney share price, I will. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm having fun with this one, you know, because we don't have uh, tacos with Trevor just yet. My last point on Disney and again, maybe this is one to leave you a little less depressed because it's it's one that we saw at Netflix. It's one of the reasons why I was a little bit more upbeat on Netflix than, than you were, Ghost. And ironically, you know, Netflix this year, which I had continued to hold until very recently, shot the lights out. Disney falling in the opposite direction. Net, net, I'm probably square. I know Disney, incidentally, is my worst position in the portfolio yet. And it's it's bag holding right now just because I can't bring myself to sell it. But here, here here's the decent point. Disney recognizing the challenges that they face in the streaming business. And so they've announced two things, two initiatives. And one is that they are, like, they, like their peers like Netflix, they're going to be cracking down on password sharing. Now, Netflix has tried to experiment with this. They haven't really implemented it. I can tell you up here in North America, it hasn't really quite hit home yet. They're not really tracking the usage, IP usage and so forth, but it's on the horizon. Disney announcing they're going the same route. They're going to update their terms and conditions over the next couple of months in order to crack down on that password sharing and then effectively checking things like, you know, where you're logging in from. Is it the same IP address? Are you, for example, a user in this jurisdiction as well as in South Africa? Well, then guess what, Ghost? You're going to have to stop sharing your password with Grimace, right? <laughs> the other point here is price increases. I think these companies have realized that generating content for the streaming model is expensive and Disney announcing a price hike for their commercial-free option up to $14 per month. Now, this is a 27% increase in the price. They obviously start this off in the North American markets and then try and you know drill that through through to the rest of the world. But it will be an interesting exercise to see what is the actual price elasticity of demand because Disney is no longer doing this in a vacuum. They are doing this in an increasingly competitive space. And right now, I've got options. I've got Disney, but I've got Netflix and I've got Apple TV and I've got Prime. So let's see what this actually does and if it actually drills down into a better outcome on the bottom line. If you look at the Disney share price around $85 currently, not really budging, uh, maybe a little bit of up, you know, a little bit of up, upside impetus in terms of maybe they hike the prices. Market's not buying it yet. 
So Mo, my last one about Yum is going to be how interesting it is to read the results and see how these companies actually think about the product range. So in the Yum earnings transcript, for example, they talk about, and I quote, off the bone offerings. Now that sounds a little bit daft in isolation, but just think about it, right? These are chicken nuggets. There's no bone involved. These are not wings. These are not legs. Now, again, that just seems like, oh, well, it's a different thing you put in the fryer and out it comes covered in grease. And yes, sure it is, but it's a completely different supply chain, completely. So to roll out a product across a global restaurant system, they really have to think about how it's going to slot into the menu and at which price point as well. Is it going to add to the offering? Is it just going to cannibalize it? Will it actually bring new customers into a KFC? What does it mean for the cooking process, for pressures on the kitchen, for the timing? Can they deliver it within a drive-through process? Which flavors will be offered? So this is why the inclusion of a new product is actually a really big deal and it can move the dial for these companies if they really get it right. The other thing that they tend to do is they learn from different regions in terms of what works and what doesn't. But you know, I'm gonna steal a bit of a point here from Magic Markets Premium, which is around the flexibility within the brand. And this is where a business like KFC faces big competition. Burger King, McDonald's, they are putting a lot of effort into chicken. And although KFC's results look good at the moment, especially internationally, the reality is that long-term, I don't think KFC can get it right to start offering beef burgers. It's in the name, right? If you're wondering how big a threat this is, McDonald's has just told us that they are the market leader in the UK in chicken, which is just extraordinary, right? And as a final comment, just on you know some of the product range in these businesses and how they think about it, what we are seeing at the moment is a definite trend of introducing value meals, so aimed at people looking to save money. And I guess, Mo, this is interesting because, and just for those listening, you know, I don't know Mo's points before we record this, and he doesn't know mine, which makes it interesting. We're hearing it for the first time on here. And Mo, you made the point of how park attendance is under pressure, right? Middle income Americans are not as flush with cash as dollar strength would have us believe and the jobs reports that come out of the US, et cetera, et cetera. They're nowhere near the pain that South African consumers are in, but they're not that cash flush actually. So we've seen that trend come through in the quick service restaurants as well. They are bringing in cheaper menu items. They are trying to get people who are looking to you know, trade down and save money and they get it right with just a few tweaks to the menu. They make the size of the meal a bit smaller, whatever it is they need to do, and suddenly, ban you have an entry-level offering that brings people to the stores. And quick service restaurants like KFC, so that's Yum Brands, like McDonald's, like Burger King, they are quite well positioned to be able to do this. And this is how they also squeeze out independent food outlets that can't necessarily have these not quite lost leaders, they still make a profit on them, but it's a far more modest margin than some of the other stuff. So yeah, that's the last one on Yum, is just how interesting the menu strategies really are. That's how these businesses live and die. Yeah, I think that's such a, it's, it's a great point to land on, Ghost, because, you know, maybe the parting point for me is, again, long-time listeners will know, I come at things with a lot more of a macro lens. You come at things with a lot more of a micro lens. We kind of build this top-down, bottom-up approach, and we come to a, a fully baked view of a stock of a company. But importantly, with a, a whole host of companies across various sectors, uh, you know, that we've, we've covered, those companies operating globally, geographically, it gives us insights that we can cross-pollinate both upwards as well as downwards. I'm not going to give a lot of it away, but for example, you've touched on the points around you know, the, the consumer pressures that have come through. And geographically, for example, at McDonald's, we've seen interesting trends around some of the geographies that they operate in where they've really made significant inroads into the market in terms of new innovations that they've put in there. 
And this gives you line of sight in terms of what's happening on the ground beyond the headlines that you might be reading about you know, a potential country, about a potential economy. It allows you to join the dots. So that's where we're going to leave it this week. We hope you're enjoying this new format. Let us know. Hit us up on social media. It's at Finance Coast. It's at Mohammed Nala. And it's at Magic Markets Pod, one word. Or go and find us on LinkedIn. Until next week, same time, same place. Thanks and cheers. Ciao. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor 